Let's now <clears throat> hear God's word taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. And uh, to get more context, I'll read from verse 6. Hear now the word of the living God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. I remind you that this is God's holy and inspired word. It declares all that we need for faith and for life. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever. Let's once again pray. Great Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you display your Holy Spirit. Manifest your Holy Spirit upon us. Awaken to receive a true spiritual awakening. Bless us with your Spirit of whom we are reading. And may your Spirit be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. J.I. Packer once opined that 50 years ago, when I was a student, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit were neglected then in the world church. So much so that witty folk from time to time speak of the Spirit as the displaced person of the Godhead and a Cinderella of theology. As now, so then... Liberals said little about the new birth and the moral and dispositional transformation of the believer, and when they spoke of the work in the world of the divine spirit, what they envisioned was a large-scale cultural change. However, Christian interest will only ever be focused on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit where, where the inadequacy, excuse me, where the inadequacy 
of all human effort is acknowledged. I want to repeat that to you. Christian interest will only ever be focused on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit where the inadequacy of all human effort is acknowledged. In this sermon, I would like uh, to highlight for you the inadequacy of all human effort to obtain the Holy, the Holy Spirit and only by that Holy Spirit can you embrace God's wisdom revealed in the message of the cross of Christ. The inadequacy of the human spirit is not something that mankind takes too kindly. If you're independent in any way, you are, if you are inadequate in any way, you are deemed to be irrational. This is what the liberal, liberal theology offers, a rational or a reasonable faith. Anything in the word about the miracles of Jesus must be explained in a rational way, so the liberal theologians think. Anything about the power of Jesus must be explained in a rational way. Anything about Jesus' divinity must be explained in a rational way, so liberal theology records. If these things cannot be rational, rationally or reasonably, reasonably explained, it is not true. Now, to be fair, if you have the starting point that Scripture is the inspired Word of God, and it can be demonstrated reliably and rationally. However, if you... If you are only if your only resort is to human reason, you will not have spiritual understanding to be able to comprehend even the deep things of God. In the last sermon, and this sermon as well, we have slowed to a snail's pace. However, I don't want to dismiss the Holy Spirit as the Cinderella of theology, because understanding him just in a peripheral way, is so extremely important to know and to understand the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. This leads us to the doctrine of the text, which I'll express this way. The Spirit comprehends the thoughts of God, is from God, and teaches the spiritual things freely given of God. I will, will repeat that. The Spirit comprehends the thoughts of God, is from God, and teaches to the spiritual things freely given to us by God. In the exposition, I would like to speak of the following headings. First, the Spirit of the world. Second, the Spirit from God. And thirdly, spiritual understanding. First, we do not have the spirit of the world. The text continues the theme of the spirit in verse 12a. Now we. This we is in the first place in the Greek text. And this we denotes the Apostle Paul, the other apostles, and the believers at the church in Corinth. This is an all-inclusive benefit for believers. 
First, the text says this in a negative way. Now we have not received, excuse me, have received not the spirit of the world. What is the spirit of the world? The spirit of the world corresponds with verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. This spirit of the world continues that trajectory. The wisdom, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age. As one commentator said, it is the spirit that rules a person in whom God's spirit does not live. It is a power that determines all things and doings of men, which place itself over against the spirit who is from God. End quote. The spirit of the world stands in contrast to the spirit of God. John fourteen sixteen says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells within you and will be with you. The world does not know the Spirit and will not accept the things of the Spirit. In essence, the Spirit of the world is human reason. In the Enlightenment, there was much emphasis on, man's, on mankind's ability to reason and rationality. As Immanuel, Immanuel Kant gave the motto of the Enlightenment, have courage to use your reason. That is the motto of the Enlightenment. There was still optimism for human reason in the approaching of the First World War. Approached there was, excuse me, but as the Second World War approached, there was a spirit of pessimism. People realized the degeneracy of human reason. Adolf Hitler could use reason to establish the practice of eugenics on Hitler's own people to promote the destruction of the Jewish race. Joseph Stalin could appeal to human reason to commit atrocities against the Poles and the Jews and the Christians. And this has extended more and more to the supreme leader of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, and Vladimir Putin. Human reason is not to be trusted because we can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3.13 The power of reason does not lead you to embrace salvation through the folly of the cross. For it is not a wisdom of this age nor of the rulers of this age. The cross is folly to those that are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power and the wisdom of God. It is wisdom from the Spirit of God. This is our next heading, the Spirit who is from God. Verse 12 continues, but the Spirit who is from God. 
In theological terms, the, the Spirit is said to proceed from God the Father and from the Son. John 14 continues in verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. You may say, didn't you say uh, that the Father and the Son sent him? But I only see uh, the, the Father sending him. Among other things, this has been the source of division between the Eastern and the Western Church. The so-called filioque clause, which means and the Son. However, Jesus says that he sends the Son also. In John 16, verses 7 and following, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This makes clear that the Spirit proceeds from God the Father and from God the Son. And this is according to the grace of God which is given to us. So we must now talk about, first, the gracious God. We read in verse 12b, But the Spirit who is from God, so that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. This corresponds to verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Point one, point one under this subheading is graciously given to us by God. I, I put italics under the graciously given to us by God. Because in this verse, Paul seems to intentionally communicate that this is completely given by grace. This is a form of the word grace. Charis means grace, and it is captured in charis fenta. Paul seems to suggest that this revelation is given to us merely by grace. We don't deserve this revelation. We don't merit it, and we don't earn it. It was freely and graciously given to us by God. The second topic under this heading is graciously given to us by God. I put italics under to us. Paul states that it was graciously given to us. We need to reflect upon this a little bit. Uh, This letter is written to the church that is in Corinth. Chapter 1, verse 2 says this. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Paul says that this is written to the church in Corinth but also everywhere that they call upon Jesus with faith. And to those who are sanctified by the regenerative power of the Holy Spirit, they have been sanctified in Christ Jesus 
and they are positionally holy, and they have also been called saints to desire to be progressively holy. In other words, this is spoken to Christians, to believers who belong to a particular church, and out of a belief that they stand positionally holy in Christ, but they desire to be, to be increasingly holy, little by little. The third point that we need to, to discuss is that revelation was graciously given to us by God. By God. As I have already said, this seems to hearken back to verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. This recalls that we spoke, what we spoke of last week. That God has given us a special revelation through the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. And He illuminates us so that we can receive the things God has graciously, graciously given unto us. Again, we don't deserve it. We do not merit this revelation and we don't earn it. This is a special revelation that was freely given to us by God Himself. Remember, we are dead in our transgressions and sins. We are completely helpless to receive anything. But God has made us alive together with Christ and able to receive the words of God and the gift of the Holy Spirit that is breathed unto us and the Spirit gives spiritual understanding. The third and final heading is the spiritual understanding. Spiritual understanding. What does the text mean by spiritual understanding? Verse 13 says in negative terms, and we impart this in wisdom not taught by human wisdom. The first point under this heading is not human wisdom. Not human reason. Did you know that John Wesley was not converted when he went to preach in Savannah, Georgia? He did not have the power of the Spirit. Can you imagine what poor sermons there must, those must have been? What languished sermons those must have been without the, the Spirit of God accompanying you? What passionless and non-emotive sermons He was banished from the colony of Georgia after approximately one year. When he sailed home, he said, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who will convert me? He was unconverted, and he didn't have the Spirit of God accompany his preaching. But when he was converted, he was filled with the Spirit and preached in England and Scotland through his, and through his ministry, he converted many people. I've seen very many liberal sermons. If they even preached the Bible, they do such a wrangling with the text that you wouldn't know whether it was up or down. Liberal theologians cannot preach because they don't have the Spirit of God accompanying them. They only have access to human reason. 
where they only have access to human wisdom. And that is not enough. The second and final point under this heading is spiritual wisdom. Verse 13b in the ESV says, not by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. This is really a difficult translation. Other translations say interpreting spiritual truths in spiritual language or comparing spiritual things with the spiritual. There are a host of grammatical difficulties that I won't get into now. But I rather like the rendering of the ESV. It says, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. In this translation, the persons who are spiritual receive this interpretation of the spirit of truth. Notice this is a segue to the following verse. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. This spiritual person does accept the things taught by the Spirit, but the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit. However, these are not contradictory positions. As Richard Pratt said in his commentary, Paul's main idea is evident the shared holy excuse me the holy spirit gives a revelation that is very special and cannot be discerned or communicated by ordinary means if you are not granted god's spirit to interpret wisdom from god's revelation for you you will be prevented from interpreting god's word in the way that they were intended this brings us to our applications. I have three applications for you this morning. Given these things, I would encourage you to pray for your pastor. As I mentioned in the weekly email, I quoted from Dr. Samuel Miller, who said this, I am persuaded that the doctrine of the Holy Spirit's influence, though believed by every Christian, and perhaps recognized in every prayer which rises from the pious heart to the throne of grace, is not so much remembered and dwelt upon, and does not occupy so large a space in daily thoughts and exercises of believers as is ought. A deep and habitual sense of our absolute dependence on the Holy Spirit's influence for every spiritual good a fixed practical impression that we are not able to think a right thought or speak a right word without His aid, that all preaching and all praying will be as water spilt on the ground if we are left to ourselves, that the success of all our efforts, however able, ingenious, and eloquent, to benefit the souls of men, will depend entirely on the same omnipotent spirit. If these things are so, and I believe that, I urge you to pray for your pastor. If you are here one time, 
And then you are to return to the church, pray for your pastor. If you are a member of this congregation, pray for your pastor. That they will be filled with the Holy Spirit in their preparation, in their sermons, and even after their sermon. All spiritual good is dependent absolutely on the Holy Spirit. Even to think a right thought is dependent on the Holy Spirit. So pray for your pastor. I have a second application for you. That you will pray for yourselves. You will pray for yourselves. Pray that you will be awakened and revived by the Spirit. As Ezekiel 37 says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and He brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And He led me around among them, and behold, there were very dry, excuse me, and behold, these were very dry, many of the surface of the valley, and behold, there were, these were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. You and I are like a valley of dry bones that cannot possibly hear and receive the word of the Lord until the Spirit moves upon us. And verse 13 says, And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from the graves. O my people, and I will put my Spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. We are like a valley of dry bones without the Spirit. It is like Adam before God breathed his breath of life in him. Pray for yourselves that God will breathe his Spirit into you again and again so that you will understand God's revelation. God will open your graves and you will experience true awakening. Pray for your pastor. Pray also for yourselves. The third application for us is pray for our influence in the world. Again, according to Ezekiel 37.19, So I prophesied, as he commanded me. And the breath, or the Spirit, came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. An exceedingly great army. If we have the Spirit of the living God within us, we become an exceedingly great army. Without the Spirit, we are nothing. If we have the Spirit of the living God, we have the wisdom of God. We will become a great and glorious army. If we have this Spirit, we will rise and defend the cross without fear of repercussions. If you are an exceedingly great army, you and I will stand for the truth as as it is found in Christ Jesus. 
If you are an exceedingly great army, you will stand and declare to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Let us arise and put our armor on. Let us be awakened to take up the cross, the only hope for everlasting life. We will be salt and light for the sin-darkened world and be the means to promote the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the Spirit. Let us take up our cross and follow the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you will equip us with your Holy Spirit and with power to take up the message of Christ crucified, the only hope of salvation. May we declare it from the rooftops, May we declare it from below. May we declare it the hope of salvation. The hope of salvation from sin. The hope of salvation from condemnation under the law. We will be an exceedingly great army when we have the Holy Spirit breathe into us once again. We ask this all in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen.